This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast number 271. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending, cocktails, and spirits. Well, this week on the show, we speak with Andrew Watson, who's originally from Australia, but now lives and bartends in Sweden. He's competing in the Bacardi Legacy Competition. Yesterday, I attended a great seminar about Irish whiskey, sponsored by Napogue Castle Whiskey and led by Philip Duff. I got a chance to talk to Philip afterwards. I mean, obviously, whiskey was invented in Ireland, and Irish whiskey was the best whiskey in the world, and that means the Irish invented single malt, and they also invented the uniquely Irish-style single pot still. We have malt and unmalt barley. We'll have that full interview next time on Bartender Journey. Before we talk with Andrew, I want to tell you about our new sponsor. It's Cake, POS system from Cisco. Making a good cocktail is all about finding the perfect balance. Like uh, Manhattan, for instance, you got to balance the bitters against the ver- sweet vermouth and the whiskey. And uh, running a bar is the same kind of way. You want to be successful. You need to make. You need to cultivate an atmosphere. Cake is the point of sale system that lets bar and restaurant owners focus on the guest experience. Stop worrying about tracking every sale. Cake does that for you. You can automatically save information and review it later from anywhere. That means you can actually take days off, maybe. Uh, which can be pretty rare in this business. No matter where you are, you can check in on daily reports and know they'll be up to date. To get started with cake, check out trycake.com slash bartender. That's uh, trycake, one word, no space, uh, dot com slash bartender. For Bartender Journey listeners, you can get $750 off the activation fee. That's a 75% discount. And with that discount, you get a user-friendly point-of-sale solution that includes cloud reporting and world-class 24-7 support. So go to trycake.com slash bartender and request a demo there and check it out. Cake makes it easy. All right, let's talk with Andrew Watson. G'day there, Brian. How are you, mate? Very good. How are you? Good. Long time no speak. Yeah. <laughs> we did a. We had a wonderful conversation for about forty-five minutes, and then the file wouldn't open. So here we are again. We had to we'll upgrade just, uh, some software, but uh, I think we're in good shape this time. We'll run that off as a as a practice. We've got all the uh, all the cobwebs out, and we're ready to go, man. Take two. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I told you before, it was an absolute pleasure speaking with you, and uh, and here we are, back we get, again. We get to do it again. <laughs> and I'm running a safety this time, which I always did in the past, and I just did a recording the other day, and it worked fine, so I said, eh, forget the safety. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson learned, Brian. Lesson learned. Always run a safety. I, don't, I know this. I know this. <laughs> So Andrew Watson, uh, let's let's explain uh, what we're what we're going to talk about today. Andrew Watson, you're you're competing uh, in Bacardi Legacy, which is a, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, cocktail competition in the world. So uh, yeah, tell us about your your story. Sure thing, man. Well, um, I'm uh, I'm currently competing uh, in top three for Sweden, and um, I I've been living in Sweden now for three years. I, I originally uh, started cutting my teeth in the bar scene in Sydney, Australia, right. and uh, I blinked my eyes one day, and here I was living three hours from Stockholm in a tiny little city, competing on, uh, in arguably one of the biggest cocktail competitions in the world. So life is kind of funny like that, Brian. <laughs> yeah, you never know where it's going to lead, huh? No, it, it's an incredible industry, and I think if you treat it with the with the respect that it deserves, it, it pays you back tenfold. Yeah, and, and and I think Bacardi Legacies, it's it's the epitome of you know of, of what a cocktail competition can do for you professionally and personally, 
And, um, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing that daily. Yeah, that's right. Well, first of all, uh, you know, even, even growing up, I, I worked in hospitality when I was very young and then I totally changed careers and then came back to it later in life. But, uh, I remember people saying, well, you know, when you work in hospitality, you can go anywhere in the world to do it. Right. So that's what you've done. Yeah. You know, it, it's my drink. It's, it's called Cubist and, and currently it's in 33 countries uh, around the world. So the fact that something that a concept and a drink can travel so, so freely, uh, to so many different locations from a tiny town in Sweden, um, it's something that I'm very proud of. And, you know, the magnitude, you know, of, of what legacy has offered me isn't lost on me for a second. Well, it's, uh, as you explained before, it's a, as we said before, it's a worldwide competition. And it's, it, did you say it's 48 countries? Yeah. Yeah. So this year it's 48 countries. Bacardi Legacy is now in its 11th year of, uh, of competing. And, uh, and this year they've, they've included, uh, an extra three or four countries, uh, into the, into the making. So, if, for anyone that, that doesn't understand kind of how the format of Bacardi Legacy works, the easiest analogy that I can give is it's like bartending Olympics, right? So you have your your regional and your national heats, and then one winner goes through to the global stage, and they battle it out over a course of four or five days, and then one winner is, is, is announced. And in order for, for the winner to be to be awarded, there's three different fields that need to be uh, need to be met and conquered. First being the drink itself, second being your marketing plan over the course of nine months, and third being the actual on-stage presentation. So it's quite grueling, Brian. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's a couple of these big competitions that are uh, they take a long time, and and there's a lot a lot that goes into it. I know the um, the marketing is a big part of this one in particular, right? Marketing is arguably the biggest part. Uh, I mean, they're all weighted the same. But the marketing, there's so there's so much room for for error, just in the, in the same breath. There's so much room for creativity. So, for somebody that comes from, say, America, uh, who has a gigantic market, and you're you're quite open and free. Compare that to Sweden. We we're a very small market, and we're a dark market. So we can't advertise alcohol. We can't we can't um, we can't give out free samples. Anything like this. So, you know, you have to be really creative in the way that you, you market yourself and, and you create awareness and buzz around your persona and your cocktail. Right. So uh, the, the cocktail is called the Cubist Cocktail or no, the just Cubist Cocktail, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just Cubist. You know, it's, uh, I was wrestling a lot with the name, um, the Cubist, Cubist Cocktail, but a lot of these were... Uh, they're quite mouthy to say, whereas cubist, a, a one-syllable word, it, it, it epitomizes everything that I wanted it to, to capture. I wanted it to be a theory. You know, I, want, I wanted the name itself to transcend nations and language barriers. And cubist is something that everyone can understand. It, it, can, be, it can be said or uttered or slurred in any country, <laughs> in any city. Uh, please drink responsibly. <laughs> Uh, and it's um yeah it's it's a concept and it's a theory it's a state of mind being cubist and you know i think removing the words the and cocktail kind of freed up that um that expression nice so of course that that refers to the um style of art cubism right yeah correct ryan it's you know i I suppose I can get into a little bit about um, about the concept of the drink before I get into the specs and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The concept of Cubist was born out of the love 
and the and the appreciation of fragmentation. So, Georges Braque and Pablo Picasso, what they did was they they went against the status quo and they rejected the uh, the conventions of three D and realist paintings, and they saw a lot more beauty in uh, in a fragmented view. Of, of, of what an object could offer us as um, as art goers and, and as those that perceive things that we look at every day. And I found this really interesting. I found this very very appealing because not every day do you do you understand why we understand things and, and we don't always understand why we love and appreciate what some would call art. Uh, and a lot of it comes down to one word, perspective. We, we all... We see and we experience things at different rates, different different intervals, in you know, our past lives, our past experiences, our past or our emotions. All of these play a role in how we look at something and deem it to be beautiful or not beautiful. You know, the the concept of cubist thinking is it, this is this is what it was born out of. It was born out of looking at an object from multiple different angles and multiple different perspectives and showcasing all of these through an analytical understanding of the object. Hmm. So, yeah, you know, we spoke uh, on our previous... Um, Invisible <laughs> podcast. Pre- <laughs> yeah. We spoke about, you know, uh, concepts and how difficult it can be to come up with a concept, an original idea and an, and an original drink, right? Right. And for me, this was a concept that it's never been touched before. It's never been, it's never been brought to the, for the, to the foreground of Bacardi Legacy. It's always people are always sharing their emotional stories and stories of overcoming and stories of you know facing the you know, facing the odds and rising rising above it all and you know being the best you that you can be and these are all amazing stories but they're not really tangible for all of us. Whereas an analytical approach, you can you can see you can see whatever you want to see in an analytical approach. It's it's more of a broad concept. Wow. Are you trained as an artist or uh, any experience? No, no, <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm an English major. Ah. Um, so I uh, I'm an English teacher actually by trade. Oh, ah, okay. <laughs> but that wasn't really working out for me so much. So I uh, I love I loved bartending too much, and and there's there's quite a lot of correlations between literature, art, and and cocktails. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, we were saying how Bacardi legacy is very much about using uh, ingredients that are common to pretty much every bar and even, you know, easily uh, accessible to the home bartender as well. So, uh, but it's a challenge to come up with something that's new and original that's made with stuff that's, you know, more or less everyday products, right? Brian, it's re- it's really hard, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, for anyone that, that listens to this and is contemplating entering legacy, my my biggest advice is do your research. You know, like study what has been entered. Study the, the the OG classics. Study study everything that you can because, I mean, creating a cocktail, you wouldn't believe that you know everything has been done. But it, sometimes it feels like everything has been done. It always feels like that to me when I when I'm trying to come up with a new drink. It always feels like this is just. Manhattan with you know a different kind of bitters or it's you know it's just this has already been done <laughs> yeah but you know you know I was wrestling with this thought uh, somebody said to me you know my drink is very reminiscent of say an airmail cocktail uh, and, and somebody said to me oh this is an airmail with pastille mm-hmm. and I told them like no this isn't an airmail like this is a cubist right 
you know, like, sure, we can take inspirations from things, and sure, we can, we can, we can adapt and we can readjust classic drinks, but I think you should be very proud when, when you make something that doesn't actually exist. But in order to do so, you have to understand what's out there first. And it, it took a long time, Brian. It took a long time to, to come up with, with the recipe. It took a long time to understand like how these how these flavors work together, how these elements, how they congeal together. Yeah, it is. it was really difficult. But keeping accessibility in mind and replicability, that was something that, that I never lost focus of. That's an interesting point that I hadn't thought of before. Of course, you're um, trying to find, find something that's original to um, – that's different from classic cocktails that have been made before that everyone knows, but you're also, you also have this huge library of drinks that have already been entered into the Bacardi legacy. So then that, that's a whole nother set of things that you have to be original and, and dif- differentiate. Yeah. You, you know, it's kind of like the way that, that I, I kind of view it. it it's like a song, right? I, I mean, with four chords on a guitar, you can, you can create nearly every song that's ever been, that's ever been uh, acoustically made, but they're all different. Three chords and the truth. That's yeah, the yeah, right. <laughs> and so, you know, I think with that concept in mind, you know, all these drinks are essentially three chords. But but uh, how mm-hmm. do you make them different? Well, it's your voice, right? It, it's it's your it's your perspective, mm-hmm. and, and it's maybe it's a dash of bitters, it's a rinse of coffee liqueur, maybe it's a pinch of salt. But but that one alteration, well, that creates a completely different profile. So no no two no two songs right. are absolutely identical, you know these are influences that that we use to adapt, you know to to a certain purpose. Yes, yes, I, I'm a big fan of salt and cocktails. Yeah, <laughs> I, I played with it on Cubist actually for for a little bit, but uh, it just wasn't really it wasn't this wasn't the time for it. <laughs> right, right. All right. So shall we? Uh, shall we reveal the recipe now? No, I'm going to go to bed now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Not happen. Uh, absolutely, man. <laughs> if you if you listen to the uh, our private podcast that we had an hour ago, you, you could have you could have known yeah, the recipe. But but no. This is your fault, listener. <laughs> uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so I think before before I get into the recipe, you know, I really wanted this to be something that was replicable all around the world. I didn't want to create something that uh, required you to go out and buy an ingredient. I didn't want you to to spend time in the kitchen sous viding or you know, creating a syrup or muddling or nothing like that. I just wanted to declutter and, and create a simplistic classic drink that would that would last the test of time. So I use uh, 45 mils of Bacardi Carta Blanca. Uh, as you let me know, it's Bacardi Silva over there. That's yeah, I use now. 20 mils of Martini Extra Dry. Now, mm-hmm. yes, and I use 25 mils of lemon juice, uh, 20 mils of honey water. It's a simple one-to-one ratio uh, of acacia honey water. Then I use one bar spoon of pastille. Which is a anise-flavored liqueur from France. Correct. And I shake that uh, hard shake, and I double strain that into a glass that's filled with 25 mils of Prosecco. Right. So let's talk about why you put the Prosecco in the glass first. Yeah. So, you know, this was a lot of trial and error, and you know, I wanted to create a drink that was... Uh, that was consistent from first sip to last sip, and in order to do so, there, there had to be there had to be a lot of thought process going into uh, into each element. So, if I hard shake strain into the glass, and then I top that up with prosecco, I'm essentially creating two drinking experiences. I'm creating this this dry uh, effervescent top, and then this, this really rich and viscous base. 
And that's not what I was after. So I I tried a multitude of different ways, different techniques. I tried layering it. I tried uh, spiraling it down a spoon. I tried pork topping it, mixing it through. But I was losing a lot of effervescence. So I decided to reverse engineer it and then add the Prosecco first and then the, the, the booze on top. And what that essentially ended up doing was creating a really balanced, consistent drink all the way through. I think that's so important to to make sure that uh, your your drink is is uh, the, all the ingredients are incorporated together. You know, because I, I agree when you when you do a topping of a, a sparkling wine or even even making a gin and tonic. You know, now we we're trying to get away from straws. We we try to serve the drink without straws. But you know, if we're going to do that, I think we need to give that drink uh, give that gin and tonic a stir so that it, the ingredients incorporate. I know in Europe uh, the serve is quite different uh, in in Europe. To, if you order a gin and tonic, you'll get uh, gin on ice and a big glass and a small bottle of uh, tonic on the side. So it's up to you to mix it together. But uh, that that that's not done so much over here um, in in most bars. You know, it'll be just uh, built in the glass. But I, I what I've been doing in my bar, I give that drink a stir. Uh, with my bar spoon so that everything's incorporated together uh, because if we're asking them to, to drink without a straw, you know, that they, they, they want to, um, it needs to be incorporated. I've, I have one guest, at, one guest at my bar. Uh, I, I work at a private club, so we have members. We don't have guests, uh, but one member, you know, I make, he, he has a gin and tonic and I always stir it right in front of him with my bar spoon and uh, serve it without a straw. Every single time he picks a straw out of, out of the dispenser, gives it a stir, puts the star, puts the straw on the bar. He uses that that straw for one second, and it'll last ten thousand years in a garbage dump. Yeah, old habit, old habits die hard, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's very funny because you know, I'm trying to create. Well, we're all trying to create uh, these legacy drinks that that are going to last the test of time. And uh, often speaking, we we forget that you know we have to make this uh, this consistent drink as easy to make as possible. So understanding different techniques is really key and understanding that each element plays a really unique and and, and special role in the cocktail. So in Cubist, they wanted to have effervescence. Uh, I knew soda water Mm -hmm. wasn't really the right choice. I knew, I think you call it club soda, right? It could be sparkling water, club soda, or seltzer. (laughs) Any of those. (laughs) You guys, you're, uh, you're on a different planet over there. We have our own way. Of, yeah. We have our own way of doing things. Yeah. So I think so I like the name Seltzer. I'm going to call it Seltzer. It sounds it sounds very okay. uh, sounds very Seinfeld. Yes. <laughs> so it is. So uh, I, I, Seltzer wasn't going to work for me because it just didn't have that that dry fruity punch. Um, lemonade, well, it just wasn't classic, uh, and, and it added way too much sweetness. Um, I think you got yeah. or lem- lemon lime soda, yeah, the Sprite or Seven yeah. Up, we'd call that. Um, so Prosecco was, was the right choice. Now, with, with a Prosecco, the, the bubble profiles are really, are really fine. So you, you, ha, you, know, you have to be right. really delicate with the way that you're incorporating this. You know, if, you're, if you're treating it really rough and you know, if you're beating it around with a spoon, you're, essentially, you, you're, you're going to beat all the bubbles out of it. Right. You wouldn't take a glass of Prosecco and stir it no. up, right? <laughs> no, yeah. You know, and, and, and that's, you know, I'm kind of finding this process of educating people that, okay, like this is this is how we do this this style of drink. This is how we use this within Cubist, and you know, I, I kind of t- try to tell everyone make it your own. But this is how I do it. I mean, the drink right now it's in, right. in thirty three countries. So I just give everyone the the base recipe, the base method, 
And then if they decide that they want to top or however they want to do it, be my guest. Right, right. Yeah, well, my uh, – I always tell people if, if anyone ever asked me what's the number one book to buy for a bartender, it's Jeffrey Morgenthaler's The Bar Book and um, talking about incorporating, um, say, soda into a drink or something, a drink that's shaken and uh, a little – a little club soda or seltzer or sparkling water on top. Um, he he likes to um, put that right in the shaker and then pour that over ice. So that, that I think that's a good way to. I don't know how much of the. Um, I think your method probably preserves the the bubbles better. But um, anyway, that's the way I do it. But I, I, I hate that too when you, you you know you have a topping of a sparkling wine or, or soda and it's just not mixed into the drink. I think it's it doesn't. Yeah, make it's a little sense. bit lazy, right? And right, <laughs> you know, and, and I think as as bartenders. We should be we should be educators, you know. At the end of the day, like we're just we're just liquid monkeys. Like we 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 we're, we're just throwing a couple of things uh, in a glass and, and praying that it tastes good. Now, you know, in, in order to, to offer the best experience that we can, well, we need to understand how these things, how these elements play with each other, and how how are you going to have longevity in the drink? Because if you can have longevity in the drink, then you're going to have longevity, you know, as uh, as a drink concept. Um, so that was, yeah. For me, that was the way that, that I wanted to construct Cubist, and 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 it took it took a long time actually, Brian, to understand, like why isn't this drink popping? Like why isn't this drink where where I want it to be? Because the flavors are there, right? Like the like right. uh, each element in the drink, they're they're perfectly fit for each other. The the dry vermouth highlights the drier, fruitier uh, elements of of Bacardi Silva. The honey and the lemon play really great together as they contrast. And then as the mix with you know, with the booze, the pastille is a really interesting herbal intensifier that contrasts and cuts through this really sweet and floral essence of Cubist. And then the Prosecco brings it all together and just and really makes it pop. So I, I had to find a way to ensure that you know I was really treating these ingredients uh, with with the respect they deserved. I'm so curious to try this cocktail because uh, especially the the, the pastille is such a small amount. Um, will make a difference. Well, I guess, you know, you think about classic cocktails that have a uh, anise um, rinse. So that makes sense. A, a little bit goes a long no, way. Massively. <laughs> when it comes to anise flavor. I mean, look, look at a Sazerac, for example. I mean, you right. remove that, you remove that rinse and I mean, you have a completely different cocktail. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a, a bar spoon. And again, like that was another process for me where, okay, is it five mils? Is it two dashes? You know, do I, am I going to rinse? Do I spray? You know, like how much is too much? How little is too little? And I just had to, I just had to cut my bones and just say, a bar spoon. It's universal around the world. Everyone knows what a bar spoon is. If you say a dash, how big is the dash a bottle? If you say a spray, how many, you know, how how much is the right amount? So a bar spoon, universal measurement. So tell us how uh, how is it that it ended up in your drink ended up in so many different countries around the world? That's amazing. Yeah, first off, thanks, mate. <laughs> you know, I, I feel. I feel really proud of it. I feel really, really proud of that. As I mentioned at the top of this, I, I live in a really small market. There's uh, roughly about 120,000 people, and uh, and only about 20,000 are of the drinking age. So uh, I have two kids at home. Um, I'm building a house. I have a job. You know, like life is just it's so compound right now that I had to think outside the box. And in order to do so. I wanted to take legacy in, 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 a, in a way that it had never been taken before, and I wanted to go digital. So I, uh, I created a YouTube account. You can check it out. It's Cubist Cocktail. 
And I created these radical hangouts where I would uh, talk to other competitors who are currently competing in Legacy. And we would share our, our ideas, our perspective of, of, the, of the competition. Uh, they would share their recipe. I would share my recipe. And then essentially, I'm ju- we're just we're collaborating, right? And oh, that's really yeah, cool. and and, and, from, and from that collaboration, they were really receptive to to put my drink on their menu. Oh, I see. And yeah. so it was kind of like a, a really polite Trojan horse. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> I, I know like, that's a really loaded term, but but uh, you know, I got to add, I got to add some personality to the drink. And so the more people that I spoke to, the more people wanted to help out. And in turn, you know, I also listed their drink in my venue. And, right, and right. so having this this idea of collaborating, that that's what really pushed it through. And then the more that I was collaborating, the more that they were sharing these interviews on their networks and their platforms, the more people started contacting me. And it just grew and grew and grew. I might have to reach out to some of these people too, because this has been a great conversation. So maybe I'll... Uh link in with some of the other com- competitors yeah mate, like you know it's it's an incredible experience uh bacardi legacy because if you're if you're receptive and if you're open and mo- most importantly if you're social you know this competition really pays you back tenfold amazing well uh tell us a little bit about your uh, the bar that you work in so i'm currently heading um a new bar project in a tiny little town called nor shopping i'm not even going to try and spell it for you there's way too many weird european letters in there Um, and the bar is called Lagerquist Cocktail Club so it's um, it's kind of like a riff on a an American speakeasy style bar without the speakeasy element Uh, and we focus on good quality Swedish products um, locally sourced and most importantly hospitality that's great well, I was, uh, I told you earlier, I was traveling through Europe a lot uh, in January. I spent the whole month of January traveling around Europe and uh, went to quite a few speakeasies. And uh, it, it was interesting, you know, there was, there was one in, um, where was I? Rome. And uh, I was looking for the place. You go down this dark alley and, you, you know, your phone's telling you, you just passed it. And you turn around, you, you passed it again. <laughs> like, where is this place? And there was another, there was another couple there looking for the same place apparently because they were doing the same thing. And then finally the door opens and uh, the guy's like, can I help you? And we're like, is this the cocktail bar? He's like, yes. He says, do you have the password? I said, no, I'm a bartender from New York. Does that matter? Does that count? He says, come right in. <laughs> but you're, yeah, you're supposed to go on their website every day and find the the password of the day, which is, you know, it's a lot of fun to speak easies, but it's at some point it becomes a little silly even. Yeah, you know, like it's all marketing, all marketing ploys, but some marketing ploys are better than others, right? Yeah, hiding your business is, uh, I, it is a lot of fun, but it's not the smartest business no, plan. No, right? not always. <laughs> but t- tell me, right, you know, like I'm an outsider um, living here in Europe. Uh, you know, I come, from, I come from Sydney, Australia, where the bar scene there, it's really open, it's really inclusive, really fresh, you know, uh, we're kind of doing our own thing back in Sydney and here in Europe where we don't model our bartending so much off the Australian style, we model it very much off the American style. And I'm really mm. curious, like, spending a month here in Europe, going to some some amazing bars, I mean, how do you find, do you find it really weird to, to kind of to kind of be almost in, in an American bar? In Europe, <laughs> yeah, it is a little strange, you know the, um, you know this whole speakeasy thing. 
was re you know obviously came from the depression and all that we all know that story but um it was sort of reimagined or uh came back in uh 1999 new year's eve milk and honey opened by uh sasha petrosky and uh it was a real speakeasy bar and it was very you know it was very serious there was unfortunately i had never been to the original milk and honey i went to the the um the one on 23rd street that came later, but that's a whole other story. But, um, anyway, but the, the history of this place by Sasha Petrosky, you know, there were rules and there was, uh, there was rules on the wall. Like, you know, women will not be approached by men, uh, un, uninvited, things like that. And if there's no place to sit at the bar, you're not going to be welcome into the bar. You know, you have to, no, there's no standing at the bar, all these, all these things. And, uh, at the time we kind of, uh, needed that because, you know, the, the bar scene was, was, terrible in the United States anyway for uh, for many 20 30 years before that and um, so it was very it was very serious but but um, what we found here was now we got past that point and we realize now that you know bars are supposed to be fun <laughs> they're not you know rules posted on the wall eh, I don't know we're, we're, I think we're past that now so anyway um, some of the bars not all but some of the cocktail bars and speakeasies that I went to in Europe I felt were sort of what was going on in New York like 10 years ago, you know, because uh, some of them were, were took themselves a little too seriously, maybe. But um, most of them were great. I mean, I, that, that one that I was mentioning in Rome, um, it, it was hard to find. But once you got in there, it was so fun. The, you know, the staff was so on point. They were so hospitable, which is the most important thing. Jerry Thomas it? Project. And, I but, think it yeah, Jerry Thomas Project, right. And um, it was just um, the the drinks were great but the but the the bartenders were really friendly and and welcoming you know and it, and it's funny you know I was traveling by myself in Europe uh, all by myself so uh, I would go into places and I think um I think it's important when you have a guest that comes to the, to your bar by uh, by him or herself that uh, they might need a little extra uh, attention because you know they have nobody to talk to and whatever right so uh, I, I always try to get a seat at the bar and talk to the bartender as much as possible try not to bug them too much when they're busy but you know uh, I like to watch what they're doing and, and see what they're doing and, and talk to them when possible yeah. you know so uh, they they hit all of those buttons they they did a fabulous job I mean that, that that's quintessentially what a bar is right and and they think the renaissance of of cocktailing you know it, it's a little bit i mean let's not let's not talk about london i mean london and paris are kind of on a different level uh, rome is up there i mean italy is up there as well but up here in, in in the northern europe we're really adapting ourselves to this american style and and for me as an aussie being here i, I kind of want to take the best of best of all worlds i want to take this american bartending style I want to amalgamate it with Australian hospitality and uh, Nordic products because, you know, I, I think that there's a lot to be said about living up here in, in, uh, in the Nordics and Scandinavia. But sometimes, you know, if, if you copy too much the American style, it's not yours. It's not authentic. Right. You know, like, like the speakeasy era, it was a, a, an incredible era because it had to be. Such as, such as venue – um, milk and honey it was an incredible venue because it had to be right. but that doesn't mean that not everything should be so hidden not everything should be so like you said serious and, and at the end of the day i mean we go to bars to have fun we work in bars to, to please people 
so we, we, you know, we shouldn't lose sight of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, you know, uh, Dale DeGroff once told me, he said the, the bar is the, uh, the third place you have your, uh, your home, you have work, and then the bar is this third place that you, that you live in, you know? And I thought that was, that was really fascinating. He yeah, said that. It, it's so true. And when I was, when I was, um, constructing Cubist, you know, I, I really wanted to have simplicity in mind. I really wanted to, to make sure that, you know, the focus in the drink was, it wasn't obscure ingredients and, in, uh, and difficult processes. You know, I, I, I know legacy, if anyone that doesn't know, legacy is all about replicability. Right. And, you know, you have your world-class, Monin, uh, bowls around the world. Like, they, these are one-off, unique drinks. And they want, they want to showcase what a bartender can do when given the tools and opportunity. Whereas legacy is about create something that can be created by a random Aussie in a tiny backwater town in Sweden, right? So <laughs> I wanted to declutter, simplify everything, and and let let the ingredients shine through, not anything else. And I think that's that's essentially what you know what a classic cocktail should be. Well, you know that's what's so great about traveling, though. Going back to what you said a couple of minutes ago about you know using all the different styles, different ingredients, and different you know. That, that's why I felt like I really had to take this trip to Europe and, and, and travel around and um, see different places. You know, other, other than England, I had never been to Europe before. So I just felt like I really had to, you know, see new places, see different ways of doing hospitality and, um, ex- you know, expand expand your horizons. It's a great thing for, for anybody, but it, it does help. Um, I mean, it helps you be a better bartender, I think, and a better person. Absolutely. And, and that's the ethos of what Cubist cubist is not just the drink but uh what, what the principle of perspective is as a whole you know cubist is about gaining an understanding of how things interact and how things alter uh, our view and perception of, of you know of, of whatever it is that we're looking at and for me that's what bartending is bartending is all about perspective and experience and some people they love licorice uh, being the aniseed um pastille you know, some people love it. Some people hate it. However, you, your perspective and your experience of that one product and that one taste, you know, that plays a, a, an integral major role in, in your appreciation and your development through through drinking my drink. Yeah, it is a uh, – you do love it or hate it. It's a, <laughs> it's a very um, – well, well, but in such a small amount, I, I'm sure it alters the drink considerably. I, w- I was messing uh, – I was making Manhattan last night with um, uh, just different types of bitters. And I was like, it's incredible how, you know, two drops of bitters, a different type. It's a totally different drink. It's really interesting. Yeah, and and that's what I mean. Like, instead of using, let's say you use, uh, I mean, insert, let's say celery bitters, right? You create a Manhattan, you replace Angostura with celery, and it's no longer Manhattan. Right, so so the variations and the alterations that you make are infinite. Therefore, in theory, you have an infinite amount of Manhattan variations. So, you know, yeah. if you if you were to if you Brian were to create this drink, sweet vermouth, dry vermouth, you know, whiskey, two, two or three dashes of celery bitters, well, you've created a brand new cocktail. I guess I just always feel like. <laughs> That's a perfect Manhattan with different bitters. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, but that's kind of the artistic. That's kind of the the artistic appreciation, right? I mean, like, Will, yeah, Will, like no, William like William de Kooning, when, when when he paints, I mean, each painting is essentially the same. 
but he, he'll use a different stroke here, he'll use a different color there, therefore, in essence, making it a different painting. And, you know, like, uh, right. I mean, the, the, the correlation between art and drinks, I mean, it's almost inseparable. Yeah, and, and also um, just expressing, uh, I, I actually love a Manhattan with uh, expressing lemon oil on it rather than orange. I think it's fabulous, yeah. you know. I think it's just a totally different drink that's just perfect for me, but not perfect for everyone, I guess. Yeah, you know, like with, uh, with Cubist, I, I um, express uh, lemon oils on, on top and, you know. Oh, you do? You didn't mention yeah, that? Yeah, you probably should have mentioned that. Uh, but, you know, that, that little expression on top, again, like that, that's just a completely different element. Uh, it, it livens the drink up. It, it really creates the, the zesty feeling before you even taste the drink. So Yeah, I have, I have one, uh, one guest or member, as we say, uh, who she likes um, lemon vodka with soda, right? right. <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, that's fine, you know, but I'm thinking, you know, what can I do to make this just a little more interesting? So, you know, what I do, I, I express a little lemon oil over the, over the drink before I serve it. And it's, I think it uh, it helps it, you know. Yeah, and and I think that's what makes you a great bartender is is your 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 appreciation to to detail and, and understanding that. Okay, I mean, we can all agree, and the ten thousand people that you know will end up hearing you, they can all agree that vodka and soda is a pretty simple drink. But but yep. <laughs> and an, an expression of lemon juice, I mean, bang, there you go. It's a completely different experience, and and. Well, the, the the oils are so fragrant and and amazing. I just love yeah, that. and I think people should understand that you know just because you think that it's a simple drink doesn't mean that one element, one alteration can't enhance you know this experience for someone. And I think that's what separates you know just your stock standard bartender with your your professional bartender that 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 appreciation for for the small differences. They are. They can be very small and make a very big difference. I mean, it's interesting. So, um, so what's the next step with your your competition? Um, You're traveling to Puerto Rico. Yeah, next, yeah. Right? I'm heading off to Puerto Rico in a couple of days. There, we'll meet the the family, which I'm really excited about. Um, we'll meet the master blender. We'll blend our own rums, have some fun in the sun, and then uh, come back. And a few days later, I'm actually heading your way, heading to New York for a couple of days. Um, Great. I've got a I've got a guerrilla marketing campaign. Uh, planned on uh, on long, on uh, on the island, so we'll have to grab a beer, Brian. I have to make sure. Definitely, absolutely, we're going to make that happen. And uh, and as soon as I as soon as I get back to Sweden, three days later, I've got my national finals. So it's all kind of coming to a head now. So how many how many bartenders in the national finals? Uh, three bartenders. It, it, it's very interesting, right? Because we all we all have very very different style drinks. But but I, I love those two guys very dearly, and and we don't we don't talk about competing with each other at all we kind of we try to keep it amicable uh you know so yeah two other guys yeah i've been i've been in a i've been in a few competitions too and it's not like it's like i'm already a winner i'm here you know it's it's, it's fine it's i don't i've never found it to be super competitive or you know cutthroat or anything it, like it, that it can it can be though you know there's uh I, i've spoken to to 30 bartenders uh, now on my on my um on my live stream uh, podcast and the things that, that people say like it can be really cutthroat but again like i don't think i think when you go down that approach you lose the essence of of who you are and, and what you're what you're actually doing so yeah you know I'm, I'm really excited i'm excited to get up on stage 
I have six minutes to present my um, my story or my my theory, and uh, and then once it's all said and done, I'm just going to be so happy to to breathe and, and say goodbye to this this stage of the competition. <laughs> <laughs> have you done other competitions? Yes, I uh, I won Monin uh, in Australia. Uh, I've been part of world class. Um, yeah, I've I've won Zabrovka, Jack Daniels. Wow. Yeah, I, I've won a I've won a handful. Of, uh, of competitions in the past, but this is the and you said you competed in world class. Yeah, yeah, I never made it out of the Australian um, the Australian field. So um, mm-hmm. this is probably the biggest stage that that I'm going to be um, competing on. So I'm really excited and Brian. I've put a lot of uh, put a lot of mental energy. I put a lot of emotion um, and a lot of effort into into this Picardy Legacy competition. And um, I, I can I can I can unequivocally say. That I I stand very proud behind my drink and my and my campaign. That's awesome! Congratulations, man! It's it's an amazing achievement to to make it this far, and I'm sure you'll. Uh, uh, we wish you the best moving on, and uh, it was great. Yeah, meeting. man, I'm really excited for that beer, by the way. Yes. So what's it? All right. Well, well, we'll talk after about the dates, but uh, we'll make sure we meet up. Andrew and I talked for a very long time. Uh, we're already at the 40-minute mark here, so uh, I'll shorten it down a little bit through the magic of editing. But uh, this part here where we started talking about hospitality was interesting, I think. So we'll take a listen to that, and then we'll wrap it up for today. But it's, it's incredible. It's incredible how the art of hospitality, it's one thing I'm really drawn to. And I tried to leave bartending. Yeah. I really did, Brian. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so you understand, and I'm sure that you know one or two listeners that, that listen to this, they'll understand the, the dilemma of, you know, you're working a nine to five job, and this the, you're, you're craving something. You don't really know what that one thing is, and and, you sh- and I still don't really know what that one thing is, but I know I know what it may be, and and I think it's this drive to be hospitable. Right. I think it's this drive, like like this to take care of people. Endorphin, yeah, this endorphin rush of somebody leaves the venue. And they, they shake your hand or, or, you know, they acknowledge, hey, thanks for tonight. And when you're cleaning down the bar, you think to yourself, like, fuck, like, maybe, just maybe, and, like, something's going to happen. Yeah. So, some, some, something that you did that enhanced their experience alters their evening, their day, their week, their life. That's right. You yeah. know? And I think if, when, you, when you have that feeling, you know that you don't belong in a bank. <laughs> It's a funny thing because, you know, you've got this alternate schedule than all the, you know, different schedule than everybody else in your life. And it's hard to make plans and you miss a lot of, you know, family gatherings and all these things. But heck, you know, like you're hanging out in a bar and there's music playing and you're getting paid to be there and people are having a good time. You know, last night we were setting up for this, you know, big um, a, a special event and, uh you know, it was like half an hour before everybody's going to show up. The music was blasting. The lights were set just right. Then, you know, the bar was all set. And I was like, yeah, let's do this, you know. <laughs> you know it's, an, it's an incredible feeling. And uh, I, I think when, when I'm standing up on stage uh, in front of 300 people in, in about two weeks' time, <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm going to have this, this overwhelming uh, this sense of this is where I belong. Right. Well, that's the thing with competitions. You got you got to think of it the same way you think of it. You know, being behind your own bar. You know, it's easy to get all nervous and like think, oh, you know, I'm on stage and this is a performance. But no, you just got to think of it like like it's your own bar. Yeah, and, and it's a magical place. You know, that two feet of bar it turns you into Superman. It does. It does. 
I've taught, I can't tell you how many people, Andrew, I've spoken to who say, you know, I'm pretty shy in my normal life, but I get behind that bar. I'm like a whole different person. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an incredible feeling. And, and I'm sure you have people that listen to this that aren't bartenders. And you know, I'm sure you've covered it in, in a multitude of podcasts before. But yeah, when you stand behind that bar and, and you, you believe in what you're saying and, and you believe in your product and you believe in, in, in you know, the service that you're giving – and you know, to bring it back to Cubist, if I believe in in, in this drink, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that that moment, that that six minutes, it's almost liberating because it, it's it's a culmination of everything, every 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 half an hour of hard work, every you know, sleepless night, every weird and wonderful concept. You know, it, it all comes to to this boiling point where for six minutes I get to showcase who I am and what I believe. And I don't think I could have, I could do that in front of the bar right. because it would kind of almost come off as pretentious, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. But behind the bar, you know, we're all sharing that experience because we know what, why we're there. Yep. That's awesome, man. Well, man, I, I wish you the best of luck and uh, we're rooting for you. Hope you win. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. And uh, we'll be sure to get together when you're in New York. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. 100%. And uh, if you'd like, you know, I, I know you and I, we follow each other on Instagram. But uh, anyone that's, uh, that's curious, it's just uh, at cubist underscore cocktail. And you'll find my weird and wonderful art. <laughs> well, cheers, Andrew. It was a pleasure. And uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch for sure. Absolutely, mate. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers, mate. Bye. All right. Thanks for listening to the Bartender Journey Podcast. My name's Brian Weber. Don't forget, if you're in the market for a great POS and management system, check out Cake. Go to trycake.com slash bartender and you can get 75% off your activation fee. All right. Here's a toast. Honor, love, fame, wealth may desert us, but thirst is eternal. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. I'm from Dyke, Dyke, and the bar. It warms my heart to serve them all the ale with Brewer's Gold.